Hello, everybody. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. Very happy to be back with you. It's been two weeks, as usual. That time always goes very slow and very fast, somehow. Um, I have a very cool show today. And first, before anything, I need to give a special shout-out to my very cool daughter, May. She started kindergarten last week. And I'm so proud of you, May. Thanks for listening. You are my number one fan. Okay, today we're going to be talking about queerness and farming. A little bit of a different topic, and I love the flexibility we have with the show to talk about all sorts of interesting topics. So, before we dive in, I have two guests uh, on the line and in the studio. But first, um, it might be helpful for some of you listening if I define some terms for you. Uh, first, the word queer is used as sort of an umbrella term uh, to refer to members of the LGBTQIA plus community, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer slash questioning, intersex, and asexual, aromantic, and a gender. Keep in mind, um, the LGBTQIA community is not a monolith like any cultural group or ethnic group or any sort of large group of people. There are it's made up of individuals, so not everyone within that group um, identifies as queer. For today, we're going to be using queer as sort of a convenient uh, shorthand, um, but if you are in that community and that is not how you identify, I hope you don't take offense. So. There's a lot to dislike about living in 2022. I will not go down that rabbit hole of things. Uh, but there, And there are certainly still many issues facing the queer community. But one thing I personally am very happy about is how much more free a lot of people feel to openly identify as how they really are. Um, some people say the rise in folks identifying as queer and transgender is a sign of a crumbling or morally bankrupt society. And if you, dear listener are one of those people. I hope you take some time to prey on your bigotry. But there have always been queer and transgender folks, like since there were humans, there were gay people. Um, it's just a little bit safer now in some places, not everywhere, for people to live their truth. So today we're going to talk about it um, largely in the context of farming here in Mendocino County. Uh, and before I get to my guests, who are both queer folk in the Mendocino farming community, if you don't know me personally, it's helpful for you to know that I am a cisgender woman. Um, cisgender means my gender identity matches the biological sex the doctor assigned me at birth based on my body parts. Um, I'm also heterosexual, which you will probably know as straight. This identity can be shortened to cishet. Um, I really want to point out that as a cishet white woman, I belong firmly to the majority population. I am not marginalized. I have a ton of privilege. Um, and that means I might sometimes sound a little clueless to people who are in the LGBTQIA community or have been working on, you know, their own implicit biases longer than I have. Um, it also means sometimes I make mistakes in conversations, which we're going to talk about one of those later. Um, but I wonder if this is going to resonate with listeners because sometimes we're so afraid of making mistakes that we excuse ourselves from the conversation. And that is not the look. That's not it. We, we are not excused because we're afraid of making mistakes. We need to engage thoughtfully and meaningfully. And when we mess up, we need to apologize. And I hope that um, I 
Elizabeth Archer, cishet white woman, have made you feel a little more comfortable knowing that it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, so yeah, just apologize, move forward. And in that spirit, let's finally start this conversation. My guests today are Shai Schnall, a shepherd, shearer, and farmhand based in Ukiah. Shai is here in the studio with me. And Catherine Flink of the New Agrarian Collective and Willits, who, through the miracle of modern technology, is on the line. So, hello. Welcome, guests. Thank you so much for being here today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. That was Shai. Catherine, can you say hey? Oh, yeah. This is me. Hey. Thank you so much. Catherine, can we start with you? Will you tell us a little about yourself, including how you identify? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, my name's Catherine Slink. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I work at the New Agrarian Collective. I'm a co-owner, co-manager of the farm. Um, and yeah, I identify as a non-binary person um, as my gender and then my for my sexuality, I identify as pansexual, um, but I think a lot of different terms get thrown around, and there's a lot of different ways that people, I like, you can associate or, like, affiliate, and I, I would affiliate myself with the term gay and lesbian as well, so, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, as far as how I got into farming, I would, I got into farming when I was, like, 19, and I'm 25 now. Um, at 19, I was a super, super, super duper depressed, um, just like very sad, unwell, kind of like ungrounded person. Um, and I wasn't doing really well. I was in college at the time. And I was just really looking for like a way out, I guess, or like some way to like ground myself and feel like I wanted to be alive. Um, and so I got to do the um the school program at school of adaptive agriculture um which was hosted on ridgewood ranch and i did a term there and then from there i just i really loved the work i loved the place and i sort of clicked with uh people who were running the farm there and kept coming back in the seasons uh to come like summertime when i had off of school and stuff and then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I moved up here full time, and um, it's just been a path to becoming more and more involved in farming and the community in general. Um, and I just, I think, obviously, like local food is super important, and it's amazing to be able to have all the bounty that we do. So that's kind of like what drew me in initially. Well, we first met when you were a student at the School of Adaptive Agriculture, and um, I'm so glad you stuck around and that farming is giving your life some of the meaning you were looking for. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Shy, same questions. Can you tell us? First, I never said my, my, my pronouns are she, her, which makes sense in the context of having said I'm a cishet woman. So, Shy, how do you identify? Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Shai Schnall. I use they and he pronouns, and I identify as a transgender person that has a queer sexuality. I think the way I navigate the world is I don't fit neatly into most boxes, so broad categories are really helpful for me of trans and queer. 
because it allows me to move a little more fluidly through those spaces is as opposed to picking one more fixed category so that's I like the broad umbrellas when I talk about my relationship to farming you'll also notice there's a lot of movement there so movement and fluidity is a big piece of my identity I am also a white Ashkenazi Jewish person and Judaism and Jewish identity is a big part of what brought me into farming I was living in Denver Colorado and working as a social worker with young children and teens and in that work I was really feeling fulfilled by relationships and really feeling depleted by not being so clear about how to take care of myself in that work um, and through my Jewish practice I connected with other queer people that were doing land-based work and in those conversations and in my Jewish community I felt this kind of resonance and deep calling to oh maybe it's time I leave the cities that I've been bouncing around from in my 20s and I spend some time building relationship with land so from Denver I moved to Potter Valley and I lived with a queer family there that had a very sweet homestead on two and a half acres and I learned how to care for chickens I learned how to grow vegetables for the first time so much of the things that I was doing I had thought about theoretically and never put my hands in the dirt and when I came to Potter Valley and finally did that there was this sense of ease and purpose and well-being that I had not experienced before and from there I just catapulted deeper and deeper into food justice work as well as farming and shepherding and where I'm at now is that I have a smattering of different jobs that keep me kind of engaged as I have that kind of broader bouncy way of being so I work as a shepherd for a few different contract grazing businesses I shear across the county I work at the farmers market where some folks may see me with Big Mesa I help run a retreat center in the area so the fluidity of my life is also present in how I farm and lots of movement and lots of different activities that is very Mendo to have like a dozen different jobs <laughs> Well, I see both Catherine and Shy at the Ukiah Farmers Market, um, and so yeah, it's it's fun to get to see you both every weekend. Um, Shy, you say your pronouns are he, they, and I know some people get confused. What I mean, it's not new, right? But it's new to a lot of people. These, you know, like you said, fluid identities. Can you explain? why you personally have two different pronouns and is it okay if someone like picks one or is it better to use both of them just help us out absolutely so for me I use both they and he pronouns because neither really encapsulates my full experience and putting both in my introductions or putting both out there for people to choose from allows me to have a different feeling and experience when each one is used so I don't need one person to toggle back and forth but I do hope that some people choose he some people choose they and there is a little bit of subversion of I often get read as a cis woman that is not my true experience so by using he it challenges people with some discomfort of just like wait but what your face is telling me is one thing and what your pronouns are telling me is another so I think there is just a bit of challenge in how I use pronouns. Yeah, I mean, I do see you at the farmer's market, but we've really only had one conversation before today. And in that conversation, I misgendered you. Um, and I, you corrected me, and I apologized, and we continued talking. And 
I've I try to stay, you know, like hip to to things and how to how to react well and one thing that I hear is that if you like misgender someone and fall on top of yourself apologizing that's not the preferred response because then you're really asking the person who you've just misgendered to like forgive you basically um so I'm wondering if you can just like talk a little bit about our interaction and if that happens to you frequently at the farmer's market where there do tend to be you know like a lot of older shoppers who maybe aren't like participating in this level of culture. Sure, yeah, for me, when somebody acknowledges that they are understanding the words I say when I correct people, there's like either a blank look in people's eyes or like, oh yeah, sorry. And if it's an oh yeah, sorry, and we can move into the rest of our conversation, that feels really good and rewarding. And something I'm noticing at the market and other places throughout the county is more and more people are moving from the kind of vacant look in their eyes to like, oh, I get the gender identity and gender gender markers are a thing that exist in the world. And that shift to just more and more people are noticing and knowing how to respond, even if it's an initial misgendering, feels really hopeful. And at the market in particular, there are a lot of families and kids that I notice that are really identifying with I have a little they he pin and they're like a kid will point to their parent and be like hey look that thing so there's something happening across generations that feels really hopeful with gender pronouns well I'm really glad to hear that farmers market shoppers are getting getting it um and it's it's so important for us to examine our own assumptions because I gendered you based on the fact that you were wearing pink overalls um which is just like it didn't I didn't give it any thought and that's something that I am working on that I need to work on and clothes are for everybody you know I tell my five-year-old all the time clothes are for everybody you know um, everybody can wear whatever they want and I try to model that and I'm trying to model that for her so yeah it's just there's always there's always we can always do better so thank you for for helping me do better um, so, Shai, you mentioned a little bit how your queer identity led you to want to basically have your hands in the soil. Catherine, I'm wondering if your own identity as a queer person affected your decision to go into farming? Um, I think it's, it's hard because it, there are so many parts like um, that affected the decision, and being queer is definitely part of it. It's like I just remember being in school and really not, like, fitting in with a lot of the paths that I saw um, my, like, straight friends or straight acquaintances going down, and I did not feel, like, really accepted in those circles or even that I really felt comfortable or, like, desired to be in those circles, and a lot of those paths, like, dump people out into the tech industry. They end up in, like biotech they end up as you know like all these like very high powered high um paying jobs yeah you're you went to like a a pretty high profile university if i'm not mistaken yeah i went to stanford in the bay and it's definitely an institution a very like very thick with elitism and a lot of lot of privilege there and like making these insane connections with power points of power across like the literally like the power structure of the world um some of these kids um and so i think that i felt this like this as soon as i got on the campus a like 
pretty much a rejection of whatever was happening in the path that I saw other people going down and um, sort of, even at that point, a very naive vision of like how I was going to build out my life. Um, and I just like did not want that. I did not want to do straight family making. I did not want, I did not want my life to look how I saw other people's lives looking and it scared me and I didn't feel comfortable there. And, um, I luckily found a really great community, um, with all its lovely own problems of its own, but, um, a co-op on the campus that was mostly queer people, um, and there's like in those circles I definitely got introduced to the idea of like interacting with land more and especially through a social justice lens um involving like land bath movements with native communities um and just like sort of just like taking a different path um than the one that's really like presented and, and applauded at Stanford. Um and so you know, I think I think what resonated when Shai said that when they first got to do the things that they had been dreaming about, it something just kind of like there was an ease. And I think that's sort of how I like would say it. It kind of progressed. It was just like as soon as I started doing it, as soon as I started farming, and as soon as I started living in a like less separated from the rest of like nature something just really clicked and I was just like desperate to not lose that um and like have to go back and like interact with like a population of people that did not make me feel welcome that like live in cities where I felt like very claustrophobic and stressed out all the time and like all these different types of pressures um and it just felt like at the beginning and this is what I say very naively at the beginning, it really felt like a way out of like doing like a nine to five. And I, I, now you I do a six to, look- to six. <laughs> yes, exactly. That I think I, when I started, I was like, Oh great. I can just like not do that. And I have, it's like, I can find a way to like have community. And, and now I definitely see more, the more like intense reality is just like, Oh, not a nine to five. Yeah, like like six to six or six to seven, um, six days a week. Um, but the reward is still there. You know, it's still uh, an amazing way to spend time. Just, I think, as a nineteen year old, I didn't really grasp what what decisions I was making for myself in pursuing this career. Um, but I feel super grateful for it, and I feel like in a very unique position because living in rural areas can be difficult it's difficult everywhere to be queer in some way or another but rural areas have a specific set of challenges um and as somebody who has carries a lot of privilege looking the way that i do i never get misgendered i never like no no one is there's no violence that happens to me on a on a regular basis for being queer um and i think that's a privilege that i really like care a lot about um, doing the most that I can with because rural areas can be pretty violent to queer people and being a person who can exist in these spaces and like push to make them a little safer for everybody else um, so that's kind of like what I see my like mission living here as is just like 
trying to make this a safer and safer place um, for people who, you know, do not experience the same privileges they when they walk through the world. Like a lot of my friends that I went to school with, like when they come up here, I don't feel I feel I feel stressed taking them out because I'm like, this is not this may not go well, you know. Well, you touched on several topics we're going to talk about. Um, I just want to take a quick second to reintroduce us. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer. Today we are talking about queerness in farming. I have two super cool guests with me. I have Shai Schnall, a shepherd, shear, and farmhand about town based in Ukiah, and Catherine Flink, who is one of the operators of the new agrarian collective in Willits. Um, be sure to stay with us. We're going to take calls a little bit later but um, I I like where you were going with the differences between rural and urban areas um, would you say and this is a question for both of you is it harder to be queer in rural sort of ag centric Mendocino County than in a larger urban area and do you think if so is Mendocino County about on par with maybe like a rural area in, you know, Wisconsin or South Dakota? Or is there something about being in California, which tends to be a little bit more, you know, whether true or not, the the vibe is that it's a little more progressive? Um, or is it the same? Is rural America rural America? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Shai. I'd be happy to speak about my experience. I've lived in a city in Denver, and I've lived here rurally, and those are really the data points that I have for answering the question. And it's a question I think about often, because the narrative I have when I'm feeling isolated here is like, oh, if I just went down to Oakland, it would be so much easier to connect with queer folks and to feel held in community. And then when I'm feeling really connected here to the land and to the small community I do have around me, there's a real sense that my mental health is improved when I'm out of the city, that I'm doing something I'm passionate about by working with sheep and goats, and I can't imagine doing that in Oakland. So I think there are definite trade-offs between being able to go to a concert and see a lot of people that seem to share a similar identity to me versus living here and having the space to be my full and authentic self. And that often means finding community is a, takes a little more time. Um, so that's kind of the tension that I'm holding of not wanting to romanticize either place, knowing there are challenges in both rural and city locations for queer people and for myself specifically, and really trusting my choice of right now a rural setting is where my heart and soul is so that's where i'm going to pursue building community and the longer i'm here the more deeply i feel connected to community whether that's queer community or other community so none of the three of us are from mendocino county and i have always had the sense that mendocino attracts the people that are meant to be here for a short or long period of time and when you get here there really is just a sense and you both described it of you know like basically getting your hands in the dirt um of like belonging and ease i also came here to farm and immediately was like nope that's not right <laughs> but mendocino <laughs> county was right so um yeah, I can relate to that that feeling of like this is this is the spot for right now. Um, Catherine, you talked uh, a little bit in your previous answer, um, but just wondering if you have anything to add. Yeah, I think that 
Uh, a lot of what Shai said resonates with me. I think there's there are pluses and minuses to both places, and you know, I do, I do. Anything can happen anywhere. Like sometimes going into a grocery store in San Francisco, I feel like my girlfriend and I are going to get hate crimes there. And so it's like you think, you know, people are people everywhere. And I've lived, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I've been around Waco. I like, I've grown up in very conservative places. Um, and it's just, it's like there are definitely places where it feels like, it may, like, you have a higher risk of being um, accosted or just, like, made to feel unwelcome, but I felt those same things in San Francisco. Um, so I think that there, there are challenges to all places, and I think, yeah, it's just, there are really, like, amazing things to be had um, in cities, and I think... Similarly to Shy, I'm just like, for now, this is what feels right. And, like, I hope to be building community while I'm here and, like, have that sense of isolation, like, um, just, like, lessen a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to have friends in all, all different places. And that, and that can help with that feeling of isolation for me. It's like having friends come to visit who live elsewhere. Um, yeah. So this is the Farm and Garden Show, so should we, we should probably talk about farming a little bit. Um, but in the same context of this conversation, are there any sort of unique barriers specific to queer people who either want to get into farming or who are already in farming? Something that I've found as I've bounced around from different farms is because housing is often a part of seasonal farm work I have found myself in situations where I didn't know the owner of the farm and I was living on their land and learning their politics and their beliefs about my identity through that live and work relationship so I think that's been the biggest barrier for me of it's not only an employer often it's also somebody that owns land and is housing me so there were were many elements of my safety and livelihood tied up in how that person viewed me and often we learned and grew together and built relationship and it was a positive experience and sometimes it felt like that was too much to navigate and it was time to move on that can be really scary too that that power differential um when you are working for someone and living on their land and they're paying you that there's just like such an imbalance already and then if they're occupying sort of like the majority culture you know often farmers and landowners are old white people um and if they haven't really done any of the work of like learning or understanding decentered cultures i could see how that would be really scary and at the beginning of my transition i was living in a place not in this county um, but where i was farming and I was pretty exhausted about having educational conversations with family members and other people in my life that although it wasn't violent or exceptionally harmful, it was just this fatigue of like, oh, I can't educate this person too. I just need to go somewhere where I can live and not be educating. Thank you so much for saying that because I think that comes up a lot for folks like me who do belong to, you know, the majority culture um, in any, you know, sense. And we're going to talk about intersectionality in a minute where we have this 
this expectation that we have access to people from the community we're trying to learn about to educate us. And sometimes people are happy to provide that education, and sometimes people want to be paid for that education, which is also totally valid. Um, and sometimes you just want to like be a person and not educate someone and not talk about, <laughs> you know, not answer questions that honestly a lot of the time google can answer for them like just google it folks it's not that hard um i, I had a really long time friendship end recently actually because um that friend demanded education from me about sexual violence and i was just like i'm not your educator you're my friend go do some work and he was not capable of that work so it's uh I obviously cannot relate um, in the way you're describing, but I definitely understand that sense of like, come on, man, just like do a little bit of work on your own. <laughs> you are not entitled to my time. Um, Catherine, what about you? How's your, have you faced any issues with like housing or other barriers to, to farming as a queer person? Yeah, I think access to land and um, housing are so, I mean, that's on everyone's mind in Mendocino County, I feel like, for sure. But I think it is, it, it plays into the question of, like, where, like, where is the easiest and, like, most fulfilling place to be is, like, um, yeah, it's, like, not even it goes to, like, daily violence, but, like, feeling an opportunity cost of, like, sort of this like drain of like when I'm working and when I've been new to situations and mostly it's been straight white men that I've been working with and for um I I feel like a need to kind of like cater to them or, or like I feel this like it's expected to, of me to kind of like make them feel comfortable with my presence there and um like assure them that I'm not like I, it almost like comes it almost gets to like borderline pick me behavior of like I feel like in order to keep this job or keep my housing I kind of have to like play along here um and and that is like ultimately can really like rob me like it robs me of my identity and when I'm doing that day in and day out it just like that is super tiring and then like like saying yeah like when i have friends come visit i just feel this like who aren't living in this kind of environment i just feel like oh my god i've stagnated so much like i'm not i'm not growing i'm just kind of like keeping this like peace and trying to just like for me it's like when i trying to decide on what feels like worth keeping or not is like is that other person equally invested who's asking education of me invested enough to like be thinking and learning on their own or is it just when I bring it up and make them feel uncomfortable and I think that like when that happens over and over again it's like I can't keep doing this this is not a, like you have no interest in making me feel welcome here it's just like a inconvenience um, and so I think that it, as I get older, I feel less and less willing to make those accommodations because I just, it really takes a toll and it like makes me feel like I'm not, like it makes me feel ashamed sometimes. And that is like not how I feel at all. But like when I'm surrounded by like white family making and white farming and just like, I'm also white. So that, <laughs> but like the structure of like white straight family making it just like when i'm asked 
to be part, a participant in that daily, it just like really leads to not leads to me not feeling comfortable. And I think that's just so tied up in access because, like you said, so many most landowners are white older people or white couples or white and and so any any time that I'm looking for a job or a place to live it's going to be appealing to those people um which are are my like I'm not too far separated but the the drain is still there would you say this is a question for both of you are there queer centered or queer exclusive farms and I mean I'm sure there are but um, I'd love to hear about them. And would you say those have evolved because of the sort of exclusionary nature of these, you know, like white heteronormative family making landowner farms um, and not feeling like welcome or comfortable in those environments? I just got back from a trip on the East Coast and I got to visit a friend's land project and farm that's called Link of Legal, which is Yiddish for left wing. And say it, it again, say it slowly. Link of Legal. Link of Legal? Yes. And it's Yiddish for? Left wing. Left wing, okay. And it is a queer Jewish chicken farm. Love everything about that. And they host retreats, they offer events, that, and it's a queer only space. They share land with Soulfire Farm and with Rock Study Farm and then a retreat center called Watershed. So it's all uh, minority identity landowners in that little quadrant of the world creating radical projects based on identity and based on relationship to land. And being there, it feels so inspiring. And I was there for their closing project. So yes those spaces exist yes it's easy for me to idealize them and be like oh if only i could live in this queer only separatist community and then in my experience being in those communities yes it's wonderful and yes there are challenges and many of the ones i've been a part of or been connected to have closed down for similar reasons of wealth and land access and conflict and the many other reasons that farms close farming is hard it sure is especially on a small scale it is hard to stay open Catherine's like yes it's hard yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really is um yeah what about if i as a white cishet gal wanted to come and like stay on one of those queer focused farms or work on one of them is it like a quote-unquote safe space for queer people and would they be like this is not your place or would someone and i'm sure it depends on the farm but is it better i guess to keep those spaces as like safe havens or welcome people from that majority community in and then also take on the work of educating them probably in a lot of ways. Catherine, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think it would be, it's very case by case to me and I would have a hard time like speaking hypothetically to me if it's a relationship that has developed organically and is genuine, then the identity, people need to be aware of their identities but it doesn't need to be exclusionary in that way, in my opinion. And I totally, other people may have very different opinions on this. So I feel like nobody could listen to this and say like, well, she said, but for me, it's like, if I have a genuine and like reciprocal relationship with somebody, then those identity points, yeah, can't 
aren't going to be barriers. They're just going to be points that we need to keep in mind. Are either of you on social media? And if so, are there any queer farmers you could recommend that we check out? I am on social media and I follow many queer farmers. I think Rock Steady is a really fun account. Rock Study? Rock Steady. Rock Steady. R-O-C-K. Mm-hmm. And then the word steady. Yes. Okay. I really enjoy them. Most of mine have a Jewish lean, so it's niche upon niche. Um, but yeah, I'd send folks to Rock Steady. There's also the Queer Far- Farmer Network that has a annual convergence that I think is happening this coming weekend. Oh, plug for the annual Queer Farmer Network Convergence. Do you know where that happens? I believe it's in Iowa. Okay. I mean, Iowa's got a lot of farming. Catherine, what about you? Are you a social media user? Do you have any favorite accounts? Um, I try to... I, I don't have any favorite accounts. I have farms that I follow from afar, which are that cluster that Chai mentioned I follow um, in... I think they're in Troy. I've never been out there. Um, And then there's a couple in Petaluma, I believe. And um, I mean, and yeah, yeah. And a couple in the Bay Area that are, they're they're more like intersections of just rather than just focusing on like queerness. There's like many different, um, like I feel like Black Earth Farms in the Bay and then uh, Segoris K in the Bay is also doing some pretty amazing work. Um, but yeah. Well, we've sort of danced around intersectionality a little bit, so let's just like talk about it. Um, so all three of us identify as white, so we obviously are not going to and cannot speak to the experiences of black, brown, and indigenous queer farmers. Um, I would, it's fair to say, I think that BIPOC, which stands for black, indigenous, and people of color, uh, not the term preferred by all, but like queer can be a helpful shorthand. Um, BIPOC face more issues in society generally than white folks and when you add um, the racism, lack of access to capital and other resources, the list goes on when you add a queer identity that bigotry and discrimination multiplies so intersectionality is when it's the interconnectedness of all of your identities right? so for me my identities are white, straight, cisgender and fat those are my primary identities and in activism and just in identifying ourselves as people it's really important to work in that space of intersectionality where we recognize and honor everybody's identity so that was sort of a long way to say um do you two as again caveat i know you're white farmers and you're not going to like speak to the black or brown experience but do you think there are unique challenges to queer bipoc in the farming community to me, I think about legibility as somebody that is in many spaces legibly read as trans when I can choose to present that more forward or back. I think about people's bodies when you have black a black or brown body that is presented to the world regardless of how you want it to be in that moment. So just thinking about visibility and safety, it, thinking about those spaces that people may navigate they are presenting their full identity and body in spaces that may be more dangerous. So I would imagine, yes. And again, I think 
I hope there's another show where we get to talk to people firsthand. Yes, yes. Please, if you are a BIPOC farmer and uh, all queer, whatever, however you want to identify, but if you are a BIPOC farmer and you are listening to this and you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email dj at kzyx.org. Um, I would love to hear from uh, all farmers listening, really. Um, it's it can be challenging in my own little universe to like get guests you know um so I, this show is for everybody i will interview pretty much anybody if it is tangentially related to farming uh so absolutely if you're interested in being a guest and especially if you are black brown or indigenous in the farming or gardening world email dj at kzyx.org um i would love to have you on the show i know that black brown and indigenous folks face a real struggle in accessing land and capital um which is a problem across the board for farmers, especially young farmers um, or people whose families haven't been farming for generations. And you know, black people's family, black farmers have been farming for generations and they've had their land sort of like systemically taken from them. So I would definitely add to the pile of um, challenges they're facing lack of, of capital. Um, Catherine, do you have anything to add to that before I reintroduce us? Yeah, I think that those are the main things that I think of is just like access to land and capital and networks that are um, usually like like built around white culture um, and all like the bounty that comes from people who have access to those networks is like uh, being able to like plug in and kind of get what because farming is so hard, it takes, like, a lot of support from the community, and um, if you are a black and brown and indigenous person, that those things may be a little bit more inaccessible because of the cultural, like, because of, um, yeah, it's just, like, it is harder to gain access into those circles, um, and, yeah, those are the, the main things I think of. Well, let's take a second to reintroduce us and open up the phone lines. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. My guests today are Catherine Flink of the New Agrarian Collective in Willits and Shai Schnall, a farmhand about town. Seems like a good description whose main love is goats and sheep, I believe. Um, I'm going to open up the phone lines if you want to give us a call, 707-895-2448. If you have any questions for Catherine or Shai, um, today on the show we are talking about queerness in farming. Um, I think we've covered a lot of topics um, while we wait to see if we have a call. Do you say there's... like? Is there a different farming approach in among queer farmers or generally among de-centered groups compared to sort of like the centered, you know, like white majority? Because mainstream farming is tends to be, again, run by white people. Um, and both of you are in more less mainstream farms because you're on, you know, smaller farms. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if if there is any sort of like just an inherently different approach to oh well we have a call so hold that thought <laughs> hi caller you're live on the air yeah i'd like to know how i can get some yarn how you some can local, get local some yarn some yarn if you guys have yeah if you guys have sheep and if you have um goats and if there's spinners i crochet and i i would love to be able to have some homegrown um yarn 
and and I don't know where to go to get it. All right, we'll give and you your your answer offline. Thanks for the call. Thank you. What do you two have to say about yarn? I love it. Love. I love local yarn. <laughs> full circle wool a- is a great place to get it. Full circle wool. Where can they access that? It's Marie Hoff's website. She's based out of Potter. I think it's just fullcirclewool.com. Okay. And then the Mendocino Wool Mill would be my other recommendation. Right. Mendocino Wool Mill right here in Ukiah. Catherine, isn't there wool for sale at the farm stand at Ridgewood Ranch? Yeah. At the farm stand at Ridgewood Ranch, the old stud barn, um, there's wool from Headlands, uh, Headlands Wool. Cool. You can... Yeah, buy spools there. And, I mean, I'm sure if you're a crocheter, you already are go to Heidi's Yarn, but I would imagine that Heidi's in downtown Ukiah might have some resources for that as well. I love that question. She does carry um, wool, I believe, from Sonoma. I recall seeing some there. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, I'd love to see your crochet work if you send me a picture, dj at kzyx.org. Um, okay, so... Different approach to farming among queer farmers, yes or no? Is that like me romanticizing or is that a thing? I would say yes, going back to your previous question around BIPOC folks of thinking about traditional ecological knowledge and how places like permaculture and regenerative ag have kind of co-opted that. So that's not a queer practice of farming, but it is looking at indigenous pathways, food pathways, and looking at how white folks have kind of extracted practices from that whitewashed them and then presented them back as something else so i'm as a white person there are ways that i'm a part of that and as a person trying to resist settler colonialism i'm trying to educate myself of how to practice farming in a way that is not recreating that harm Catherine, yeah um i would say similarly that it's like not necessarily as you said at the beginning there's not a monolith um but that people who are involved in things that are like other than the goal is just to be a straight market farm um that there are like other goals that are equally as important as like creating profit is like tending to the land in a way that is not like um extractive and also giving credit where uh, credit is due as I was speaking on just that a lot of the practices that and a lot of the vegetables and a lot of the food that um, farmers grow now in whatever way comes from long histories of indigenous people um, creating those types of foods and, and growing practices and um, so it, it definitely depends on the place and the person but I would say as uh, from the people that I know, there tends to be a slightly different approach, yeah. I think mainstream farming is often, or industrial farming, I mean, that's not a great definition for what that really means, and I understand that industrial farming is very good at feeding 330 million Americans every day, and so I don't want to, like, trash, you know, the system by which most of us get fed. Um, But there does seem to be a sense that mainstream farming forces itself on the land um and i wonder if there's sort of like an analogy there between dominant culture forcing itself on decentered cultures um i don't really have a question in that it's just an interesting thought i have a response to your non-question let's hit it shy Uh, so again not 
speaking on my queer identity but speaking on my Jewish identity we're currently in a year called Shemitah which is the seventh year of a seven year cycle where the land is rested and fences are taken down and food is shared among community and that's such a radically different way of thinking about farming from production farms so similar to on the seventh day there's Shabbat for humans or Sabbath where you're resting this idea is taken to land and taken to how food systems work. And I think that is pretty radical and something that I try to bring into my farming and land-based practices of just how can I relate to land where I'm thinking about it as a living being that needs rest, that needs care, that needs attention, um, as opposed to something that can produce and I can extract from. Well, and there's underlying that there's the sense of respect, respecting the land and what it provides and what it needs and not just like extracting and dominating over it which i don't i don't have a strong sense that we're moving away from that in a broad sense culturally um i think here in mendocino county there is a certain amount of privilege in that we do have quite a few small farms um and that there you know it was the first county to ban ban gmos and i don't I don't feel super strongly about GMOs, but there is sort of this like cultural sense that in Mendocino County, there is more respect for the land and maybe for indigenous practices. But again, I'm not sure if that's true or if, again, that's just the way I've romanticized this place that I've chosen to call home. What do you think about that, Catherine? Am I being too starry-eyed? I think in some ways, but in some ways, I mean, it just, it just, it's pocket by pocket, you know, I feel like, um, I think something interesting to be like this, a challenge that is facing all of the community is like water and water usage and, and that, how that plays into growing certain crops that people are so insistent and expectant of, um, in like their diet. Um, when this land has not, necessarily traditionally grown those foods um historically that's not how people here have fed themselves for um for as long as they've lived here um so i think that in in terms of like listening to the land and listening to and respecting it is like being able to hear and like respond to what this like land is actually capable of and and giving it the care that it needs rather than like insisting that we insisting that we need to grow these certain types of foods that are um, accepted in our diet today. Um, so I think that there is, like, there is, there are a lot of small farms that are just trying to um, be a small business and, like, balance as much as they can um, being ecologically minded. Um, but then there are also small farms that are just, like, just trying to make profit, you know, and, and it is such a hard industry to make, to survive in. Um, so I think, I think it's more of a systemic issue that, that in order to, um, produce food or have food that you have to turn that profit. And so I think until there's some sort of like real effort made to subsidize things that people will continue to have to make tough decisions, um, that may not always be in the best interest of the land or they're going to have to radically like accept that that is not going to happen for them and they're going to have to make income another way and um that i i just think it will be an interesting thing to see how that plays out in the next couple years and is playing out currently 
Well, we're getting toward the end of the show, so I'm going to do a last call. If you're listening and you have a question and you just aren't sure, just go ahead and, you know, like, pick up the phone, give us a buzz, 707-895-2448. I want to shift in this last conversation topic away from farming and more toward the importance of, um, like, representation and... The importance of majority culture using inclusive terms. So, for instance, today on the show, it was the first time I gave my pronouns. It was the first time I asked my guests for their pronouns and how they identify. And that makes sense in the context of a show about queerness, I suppose. But do you think it's an important thing for me to start incorporating that identity check into all of my shows? And if so, like... What does that mean if I, a cishet white gal, ask, you know, maybe like a cishet white man to identify himself? Like, is that important or is that not important? Catherine, I'll start with you. Um, My response, my feelings on that is that it, it, it does make me feel more comfortable because then it is not like I'm bringing something outside or forcing something on people, but there is like, and all already an awareness there that these are um, points of identity that different people may have something that will surprise you based on how you perceive them. Um, so I personally, I do feel like it is important. I do think it can be sometimes used as like tokenism of just like putting your pronouns in your email sign off um, and not really like walking that with the rest of your life. So I think like, it's a really great thing to start doing and also like to not let it be the only thing that folks think is important to um, be doing. Um, but it's just like a small thing to make people feel more included. We have a call. Hi caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, well, I like your show. I like what you've been saying. Uh, I have a suggestion and that is when we talk about the land and it's, it, value to us uh we think of mother nature and we learn to to uh talk about her about the her in our land i mean because it is a feminine uh growth producing uh seed producing and all the rest of it so i don't know what you think about that but uh i think uh I think we all should begin to think of, a, as part of this revolution that you're talking about, always in everything we do, think about our land as Earth. Cool. Thank you so much for that input. Quick takes on that call and that um, that thought, Shy, about Mother Nature before this show wraps up? I think if that works for you and that inspires you to care for the Earth, that is beautiful. And for me that doesn't fit as well and I think that's where we all get to bring our own perspectives and connections to land and to for you mother earth and for others Pachamama like there are so many names and ways of relating to the being that is the earth we live on it's like God in in a lot of ways you know a lot of people have a lot of different 
things that they believe spiritually. And if that is something that helps you live your best life and be a good person, um, I don't really care what it is that you're into. And so same with how we think of and relate to the earth. If it's helping us be in good relation to the earth and the land that we've been uh, tasked with stewarding, you know, I'm with you. I think whatever works. Wow. That show flew by. Thank you so much, Shai and Catherine, for joining me on this um, very important conversation. Thank you for bearing with me if I stumbled a couple times, which I am want to do. And again, just a reminder for listeners, if this conversation um, felt uncomfortable for you in any way, um, just, you know, sit with that and know that um, every day we all have the opportunity to learn and grow. And I invite you all to to do that so thank you shy and Catherine again thank you for having us yeah thank you so much this has been great this has been a production of mendocino county public broadcasting kzyx philo 90.7 fm kzyz willits and ukiah 91.5 fm and fort bragg at 88.1 fm you can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner Thank you for listening.